Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. And as I continue my series entitled, You Make Me Crazy, Building Great Relationships, we have learned that the truth is relationships are not always easy, and there are people in our life that make us crazy. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you might be one of those people in my life. And last week, we began to look at working through conflict in our life, working through conflict in our life. And the truth is, all of us have to work through conflict in our life. Conflict begins at an early age. And the reason why we all have to work through conflict in our life is because we live in a fallen world. We live in a dysfunctional world. And the truth is, we're all different. Even if we weren't dysfunctional, and we are, we would all be different. And, and, and because we're all different, we see things differently. I, I see things through my experiences. I see things through the way I was brought up. I see things through what I believe the scripture says. And so we all see things differently in our life. I see things through my gift set, my temperament and my gift set. And so because I'm a certain way, because I think a certain way, because I've been shaped by God in a certain way, I think differently. Now, obviously, when it comes to God's word, that's the glue that puts us all together. But even when we are all Christians, we still see things through our gift set. In other words, let me give you an example. If I, if I have the gift of mercy, I'm going to see things through my gift of mercy. If I'm prophetic... I didn't say pathetic. If I said prophetic, I know some people who think that they're prophetic, but they're really pathetic. But if I'm prophetic, I see things black and white. And so that's where it gets really difficult at times because you have people in the church, you have Christians in the church that have certain gifts. And they can't really understand why a certain person sees things a certain way. Well, you're giving that, you're compromising. You're not really following the word of God. I'm a black and white person. This is the way it is, right? And so we have to learn how to get together. We have to learn how to understand each other's gifts. We have to learn how to understand each other's temperament, right? So conflict happens for a lot of reasons. And the truth is, if we don't learn how to deal with conflict, we're going to have some really bad relationships in our life. The truth is, the truth is there's so many people that are living today in conflict, constant conflict in their life because they've never learned how to resolve conflict in their life. Listen to me. Living at peace with everyone takes a lot of humility. Paul the Apostle tells us, if possible, as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Wow. And so obviously there are times when there are some people that are troublemakers that never want peace. They always want war. And they really don't like you. And no matter what you do, you're never going to make them happy. But you still can live at peace in your own soul. Come on, somebody. And I think so often we walk away from relationships too soon. But really living at peace with everyone will take a lot of humility. It'll take a lot of forgiveness. It'll take a lot of work. It takes work. It takes the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It takes commitment. It takes working through conflict time and time and time again. Peter told Jesus, when can I walk away? After seven times? And Jesus says, no, you can never walk away. 
He said, the truth of the matter is, is you've got to always work through and forgive those people in your life. doesn't mean that you have to be their best friend. And there, there are times when you have to put some boundaries. But you can never walk away from a relationship that you have not received your own peace in your own life about what you're supposed to do about it. So last week we began to look at how to resolve conflict. And we began to look at several ways uh, that we can resolve conflict in our life. And the first thing we said is that we need to learn that we are called to be peacemakers. We're called to make peace. That means we are the ones that should be initiating conflict resolution. We don't wait for the other person. Can you imagine the kind of world we would have if everyone initiated peace, right? We would all be running to make sure that we would not let the sun go down on our wrath. We would make sure that we would not let a, a root of bitterness spring up. We would make sure that we would stifle, we would smother gossip because we would deal with it the right way. Jesus said, happy or blessed are the peacemakers for they really are the children of God. You will never be happy until you learn how to initiate reconciliation in your life. Unhappy people, unsatisfied people, depressed people, discouraged people are people who have never learned how to initiate reconciliation in their life. They've never learned how to navigate through conflict in their lives. But Jesus said, when it comes to conflict, you always take the initiative. Don't waste time. Go and deal with it quickly. Don't ignore conflict in your life. It's only going to get worse. Don't push it under the carpet. It always will surface again and again. That's why Jesus said, therefore, if you're offering, you're offering to the Lord and you go to the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar first. Go be reconciled to your brother or your sister. Then come and offer your gift to God. Reconcile quickly with your adversary while you're still on the way to court. Otherwise, he or she may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown in prison. Wow. Hurt turns into resentment. Resentment turns into bitterness. Bitterness turns into isolation. Isolation turns into hatred. And hatred turns into poison that creates a disdain for the person that we are angry at. And sooner or later, that relationship is destroyed. It's poison. Jesus said, deal with it. Deal with it quickly. Get it out of your system and keep the relationship whole. Somebody help me out and say amen. But if we're really going to be good, if we're going to be good at conflict resolution... We're going to have to overcome the fear of conflict. We don't like conflict. Nobody likes conflict. Well, I think there are some crazy people who like conflict. But for the most part, we don't like conflict. We want peace in our life. We don't want to be having to deal with issues with people. And so, so often we either blame the other person or we run from the conflict, but we don't want to deal with it because we're afraid of conflict. And we've got to overcome that fear in our life. You know, I have to deal with it all the time. I want to be honest with you, really transparent with you. Just last week, I had to deal with a situation. I was wronged. I was wronged by someone. 
and I needed to do something about it. And so, you know, my first reaction was go talk to somebody else. But the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, no, you have to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with it. But you know what? I had to. I'm so glad I did. And I made that phone call, and I talked to that person because he doesn't even live in the state. And the truth of the matter is it was such an incredible conversation. I walked away from it. I knew that God told me, deal with the situation. It was a critical situation, and we did. And it was wonderful. And we understood each other. It was wonderful. And so I want to tell you that all of us go through that in our life. All of us. And you know, sometimes it's easy to deal with the conflict because we're not afraid. Sometimes we are. Whatever the, whatever the case may be, sometimes we, don't wanna, we, don't, we just don't want to deal with it. Sometimes we're too proud. We're too arrogant. We don't think it's important. But Jesus says it's important. So we've got to get over the fear of conflict. Secondly, once you've overcome the fear of confrontation, then the Bible tells us to go directly to the person that you need to be reconciled with. I want to read this to you. I want to read it carefully. I want you to listen. You've heard this a million times, but this time I want you to close your eyes while I'm reading it and don't fall asleep on me. If your brother, close your eyes, if your brother or your sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Conflict done. Resolved. Need not to talk about it again. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, verse 19, the critical verse, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Look at me. So Jesus gives us the pattern for conflict resolution. Okay? Now, we need to understand it's really critical that the Bible also says that a wise person, a humble person, knows how to overlook an offense. You know, I want to tell you, there's too many people that are simply too touchy. We're too insecure sometimes, and sometimes we've got to allow, we've got to let certain things just go, man. Just like put it under the blood and move on. But if you can't do that, and there's still something in your spirit, and you're still angry about it, you have to go to the person who hurt you. And the Bible says that if they don't listen to you, you don't take two of your buddies with you. That's just going to make it worse, right? Well, I know I'm going to take my two buddies with me. And they, you know, I've already filled them in on the situation. And I've, always, I've already let them know how this person was wrong. And we're going to go now with my story. That You're not going to get anywhere with that. See, if you truly want to resolve the conflict, you find two mature 
Christians. Not easy to find. But you find two mature Christians. You take them with you. And in the spirit of reconciliation, you go and you share your heart with them. And the Bible says, and at that point, if they don't listen, then you take it to the leadership of the church. But notice verse 19. Jesus says, look, here's the deal. You got to get along with one another. Why? Because the power of God only comes when there is unity. How good and how blessed it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And so Jesus is saying in verse 19, what a shame. Let me, let me, let me paraphrase it. What Jesus is saying is, what a shame that we can't get along with one another because if we could get along with one another, I would walk amongst you and I would do powerful things in your midst. Didn't he say that? He said, where two or three are in agreement with one another, I am there. And you can ask whatever you want to ask. Listen to me. It's not worth being in a conflict with somebody. It's not worth being a conflict and not reconciling something with somebody in your life. You don't want to stop the flow of God. God's mercy, you don't want to stop the flow of God's grace. You don't want to stop the flow of God's anointing in your life. Come on, somebody, say amen. So Jesus says, get it right, do it, deal with it. Why? Get it over with, because you can't afford to be angry. You can't afford to have somebody be angry at you. You've got to be in unity with one another, because when you're in unity with one another, God's presence comes, and Jesus feels comfortable among you. Listen to me. I'm telling you, some, some churches, Jesus just does not feel comfortable there, and they don't even know he's not there. He's like, I'm not here. You know why? Because there's so much fighting and conflict. Jesus said, I'm not going there. I'm not going to that church. I'm not going there that Sunday. Why? Because he will not be where there is unforgiveness. Are you with me? So four things to consider when you do choose to do it the right way. Number one, I want you to write this down. When you are in conflict and you want to resolve the conflict, number one, choose the right time. Choose the right time. You know, I understand you might be bubbling over and you need to get on the phone and you need to tell that person how you feel. And you call that person up and, and she's got three babies hanging on her legs, you know. She's got to get dinner. That's not the right time to talk to her about how she hurt you. Because you're not going to get the right response. So if we really want conflict to be resolved, we've got to be wise enough to know, choose the right time. When you know that that person can give you their undivided attention, when you know that person's not exhausted, you know, find the time that's going to be good for both of you. Number two, choose the right place. Choose the right place. Think about it. Think it through. Hey, man, you know, let's, let's just go have some coffee at Starbucks, you know, and just wherever. You know, let's go take a walk in the park where you're not going to be distracted, right? Make sure you shut out the distractions. Pray, pray, pray hard before the meeting. I want to thank the Lord because last week I prayed hard before the meeting. I, I sought the Lord. And God, you know, here's what happens when you pray hard before the meeting. God changes you. See, we, we, you know, I, I'm telling you, when I start to pray about a conflict, God always shows me my part in the situation. <laughs> and he humbles me. Hallelujah. When you pray, what are you really doing? You're going to the divine counselor. You're sitting down and you're talking to God about the situation. Listen, you don't talk to anybody else before you talk to God. 
And when you talk to God, God straightens you out. Come on, somebody. <laughs> God, gives, God helps you to remember. Do you remember how you were feeling, what you said? See, God is truth. And God is going to, you know, God's going to show you everything about you. So you pray before the meeting. Pray for the person. Pray that God blesses them. You cannot be angry with somebody that you pray for. That's why I pray for my wife five times a day. Hallelujah. <laughs> you cannot be angry with somebody you pray for. I, I promise you, I pray for my wife all the time, all the time. And it's not, and I don't want, it's not because she drives me crazy. The truth of the matter is I pray for my wife all the time. The first thing I do in the morning is I pray, pray for my wife. I pray with my wife in the morning, and then I pray for my wife during the day, right? Because when I'm praying for somebody, it really gives me a love for that person. It helps me to understand their point of view and then have the right attitude. It's all about attitude. Life is so much about attitude. Your attitude will always determine your altitude. Come on, somebody. And you've got to have the right attitude. Thirdly, once you make that meeting happen, you got the right place, the right time, the right attitude, you've prayed, then the first thing you need to do is you need to fess up and you need, to, you need to start the conversation with, hey, man, I just want you to know that if I've hurt you, if I've offended you, if I've done something wrong, if I've missed something here, if I've missed something here, right? So what happens? The moment that you humble yourself, the moment that you take responsibility for whatever, the, the wall goes down, right? Because the person's not feeling attacked, right? You don't want to go in and go, hey, listen, I just want to tell you all the things that you've done wrong, you know. It means you're not going to get very far, right. But if you humble yourself and say, and, and hey, listen, and, and you might not be wrong at all, right. You may not, okay. I, I'm telling you, chances are you played a part in the miscommunication or the misunderstanding. Chances are, right, all right. There, there's, there's something here. You know, sometimes when somebody hurts me or wrongs me, it's because I've communicated wrong to them. Or maybe I've waited way too long to deal with the situation. And so I just pray, Lord, what's my part in the situation? Lord, how did I fail? The truth is, they may be 99% wrong, but you always start with your part in the conflict. It's called humility. Come on, somebody. And the truth is we always have a part in the conflict. And so we need to ask ourselves the question then. Do I have the right attitude? Do I have any blind spots? Have I placed too much responsibility on the other person? Did I communicate correctly to the person? Am I being unrealistic? Am I being ungrateful in the relationship? Am I being insensitive? Am I being oversensitive? Am I being too demanding? Am I being too judgmental? Am I enabling the person? Have I ignored or avoided the big conversations that led us to this point? Am I being unrealistic? And then am I just being too nitpicky? You know, the Bible tells us that we need to learn, like I said before, how to overlook certain offenses in our life. Remember, remember the log that is in your eye. 
Remember the log that's in my eye before I try to take the splint out of somebody else's eye. So the first thing we do in the conflict is we take responsibility. We, we are humble. We go with a humble spirit. We make sure that we pull down the walls by presenting that we want the conflict to be resolved. And maybe there's a part that I've played in it. And so then once we do that, then we're learning how to resolve the conflict God's way. Now, I want to tell you that if you're going to resolve conflict or you're going to live a life of peace, you're going to have to learn, I'm going to have to learn how to really communicate. This is not something that we learned as a child. We talk about conflict resolution. Listen to me. I want to tell you today that all of us in this room, we are dysfunctional when it comes to communication. There is communication breakdown all over, and as a result of that, there's conflict. So we need to learn how to communicate. Communication is one of the most important keys to healthy relationships. You know, I, I talk to young people when they're getting married. And I tell them the three biggies, right? The three biggies in marriage. Okay? Sex, money, and communication. And number one is communication. If you don't have good communication, nothing goes well in your relationship. Nothing. And so communication is the biggest key to having good relationships. Think about it with God and with you. We need to communicate. We need to learn how to hear His voice in our life. And then we need to vertically and horizontally be able to communicate with other people. Tony Gaskins once said, communication is to relationship what oxygen is to life. Without it, you die. So relationships fail because communication often fails. Relationships struggle because of poor communication. Communication is vital in any relationship. I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the elderly woman who had a hard time communicating what she really was trying to say. A rather old-fashioned lady was planning a couple of weeks vacation in Florida. She also was quite delicate and eloquent in her language. She wrote a letter to a particular campground and asked for reservations. She wanted to make sure the campground was fully equipped but didn't know quite how to ask about the toilet facilities. She just couldn't bring herself to write the word toilet in her letter. After much deliberation, she finally came up with the old-fashioned term bathroom commode. But when she wrote that down, she still thought that she was being a little too forward. So she started all over again, rewrote the entire letter, and referred to the bathroom commode as the BC. Does the campground have its own BC is what she actually wrote. Well, the campground owner wasn't old-fashioned at all. And when he got the letter, he couldn't figure out what the lady was talking about. That BC really stomped him. After worrying about it for several days, he showed the letter to other campers, but they couldn't figure out what the lady meant either. The campground owner finally came to the conclusion that the lady was actually asking about the location of the Baptist church. <laughs> so he sat down and, write, and wrote the following reply. Dear Madam... I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, 
But I now take pleasure of informing you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campsite and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away, and if you're in the habit of going regularly, but no doubt you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make it a day. They usually arrive early and stay late. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago. And it was so crowded, we had to stand up the whole time we were there. It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money to buy more seats for the B.C., they plan to hold a supper in the middle of the B.C. so everyone can watch and take talk about the great event. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go regularly, but it's surely not for a lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more and more an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you decide to come down to the campground, Perhaps I could go with you for the first time and we could sit together and introduce you to all the other folks. This is really a very friendly community. Communication. Communication is so key in relationships. And the truth of it is most people have never really effectively learned how to communicate. And the outcome of it, as I said last week, is misunderstanding and miscommunication. And that can be devastating. In fact, I'm reminded of an old couple. And they were actually getting a divorce after many years living together. And a judge was interviewing a woman regarding her pending divorce. And he asked, what are the grounds for your divorce. She replied, about four acres with a little home in the middle of the property. No, said the judge. I mean, what's the foundation of the case? It's made of concrete and brick and mortar, she replied. I mean, he continued, what are, what, what, what are your relations like? I have an aunt and uncle in town as well as my husband's parents. He said, do you have a grudge? Do you have a grudge? She replied, since we have a carport, we never really needed a garage. <laughs> Ma'am, has your husband ever beat you up? Yes, she replied, about twice a week he gets up earlier than I do. <laughs> Finally, in frustration, the judge asked, Madam, why do you want a divorce? I never wanted a divorce, the woman replied. My husband does. He says, we can't communicate well. Jeez. The thing that worries me is the people who look at me like. So, so I, I want to talk to you for a few moments about, about mastering the art of communication. You know, the Bible talks a lot, a lot about communication. And so when the when we look at communication, the first thing we need to do, and I'm going to give you six keys to effective communication. The first thing you need to do is you need to actually check your own heart. See, the Bible says the heart is the key 
to communication. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, the good person out of the good treasures of their heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The what? The what? The mouth speaks. He says, what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Listen to me. Sooner or later, if there is bitterness in your heart, it will come out of your mouth. If there's pride in your heart, it will come out of your mouth. If there's humility in your heart, it will be seen by the things you say. So we've got to check our own heart when it comes to communication. I believe the first step in good communication is always to bring our heart to God. You will never be a good communicator unless you first bring your heart to God. You know, David was communicating one time about wicked people in Psalms 139. And he said, oh God, he said, do I hate the wicked See, what's in his heart came out of his mouth. Lord, I want you to destroy the wicked. And then he catches himself and he says, oh God, search me and know my own heart. Know if there's any wickedness inside of me. So if you want to be a great communicator, you've got to bring your heart to God on a daily basis. Psalms 19 says, let the words of my mouth, listen to me, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my what? Of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are my rock and my redeemer. Here, listen to me, here's what he's saying. He's saying, my heart and my mouth go hand in hand. Everybody say with me, my heart and my mouth go hand in hand. Listen to me, if your heart is filled with bitterness, it will, it will give you away. So you start with your heart. Number two. The second thing when it comes to communication is learn how to understand. Focus, focus, focus on understanding. I want you to say with me. If I'm going to be a good communicator, I must focus on truly understanding. Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his or her opinion. Wow. Have you ever met a fool? Come on, don't, 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 don't look at your neighbor right now. A fool is someone who just keeps on talking. You sit down with them, and they don't give you a moment to speak to them. They just want to always be understood. They just want to let everybody know how they feel, but they don't take the time to really listen. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. One of my best friends, Pastor Henry Dennis, he has an incredible gift of listening. I could sit in a room and he will listen. He will listen carefully. That's what makes him such a great counselor is his ability to listen. I know there are times probably when people go in his office and they just cry and they talk and talk and talk and talk. And he just listens and listens. And after an hour later, they're like, thank you, Pastor Henry. You really helped me out. <laughs> wow, you're amazing. And he didn't say a word, right? 
Listen again. The fool takes no pleasure in truly understanding. You don't want to be a fool. You want to take the time to truly understand. See, I know that all of us want to be understood. But before we can truly be understood, listen to me, we've got to learn how to understand. I say it all the time. I'm going to say it again. I, I've been preaching as a senior pastor for almost 26 years. You've heard me say it. I'll say it again. In his book, Stephen Covey says, one of the most effective things you can do in building relationships and being successful in life is seek to understand before you're understood. Because if you truly understand, you'll be able to give an apt answer. You cannot respond in communication until you really understand what the other person's really saying. And how often do we misunderstand people? You know, I, I want to be honest with you. I get misunderstood because I use my hands a lot. I'm Italian. I'm Pentecostal. I'm loud. This is the way I talk at home. If you get together with me and my family, have you ever been around an Italian family at Thanksgiving or Christmas? You think they're arguing with one another. I mean, you sit there. I, look, my son-in-law is from Michigan. He's never been on a plane before. He's never come to New York and probably really never met any Italian people. And he's very quiet. I think he went through total culture shock when he sat down at the table with my family at Christmas. Because we were talking. Yeah, but you know, yeah, but yeah, and nobody's mad at nobody. We love each other. It's just the way we talk, right? And I can't tell you how many times I might be in a counseling situation and I'm bringing correction to somebody. And I'm, I'm just like, I love you, man. I, I just want to see you do well, man. I believe in you. The person leaves and goes, man, Pastor Steve yelled at me for an hour straight. <laughs> I'm trying to work on it, really. I, I, I am. So when people come into my office, I sit on my hands. I just want to tell you that I love you. I'm going to say it softly. You're really bad, though. You know, so, so we've got to understand people. And most of the time, we want to be understood, but we, don't take the, we really don't take the time to understand. How do you understand people? Well, obviously, you first pray you ask the Lord to help you to see, walk in the other person's shoes for a little while. Ask God to give you insight into their life. Understand their lives a little bit more. Because if you do, you'll, you'll get empathy. You know, one of the reasons why I can honestly tell you that I work on getting along with my wife is because every day I just put myself in her shoes. And I think to myself, man, what a day she must be having. You know, my wife gets up really early in the morning. She works full time. She's the administrator, chief administrator of Bethlehem Assembly of God. She finishes at 5.30. She bolts over to see her mom in the nursing home. She spends an hour with her mom in the nursing home. Having to deal with such incredible situations, comes home, drops her bag down, starts cooking dinner. By the time she goes to sleep, it's 10, 11 o'clock. Now, I know what you said. Take her out to dinner. Pay me more and I will. No, I'm just kidding. And, and you know, just last week, last week, 
you know, I think it was last Monday, you know, um, we, were, we were communicating, and, and communication got a little heavy. And, you know, I just stopped, and I thought to myself, man, her day today must have been filled with so much stuff. And I just stopped. I said, how's your day going? What's going on? And, and she was able to communicate to me, this is what my day looked like today. Wow. I mean, empathy. I mean, just understanding sometimes, giving people a break, understanding, again, sometimes we put so much pressure, so much expectation on people. You know, you, you would do well to do the same thing with the pastor, with the pastors of the church. Put yourself in their shoes for one day. For one day. Think about all the people that they have to deal with on a daily basis. Think about the life and death situations that pastors have to deal with every single day. Think about how brutally um, fierce is the spiritual battle that pastors are under every single day of their life. If the enemy could take the head out, he could destroy a church. Think about the major decisions that pastors have to make all day long. You see, whatever it may be and whoever it may be in your life, Put yourself in their shoes for a little while. See, when I step into the shoes of somebody else, I can realize why they say and do what they do. I like what Dr. Rick Hansen once wrote concerning understanding others and having empathy for them. Empathy gives you a feeling for what it's like to be in another person's shoes. Empathy is soothing, calming, bridge building. When it's present, it's much easier to work through things. Empathy gives you lots of useful information, like what's most important to others or what is really bothering them. In fact, if you really think about the reason why we love Jesus so much, and I've, I've said this a couple of times already, but the reason why we love Jesus so much is because Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows why you feel the way you feel because he's God Jesus knows what you're going to think before you think it Jesus knows what you're going to say before you say it and yet think about it for a moment what a savior we have we're going to be celebrating and listen to me don't miss it next week and if you show up here nobody's here we didn't get raptured we're at Hofstra University so and I would really encourage you to come to the 8.30 service at Hofstra University. It is going to be wonderful. What a beautiful, we're going to be meeting in a gorgeous, beautiful theater that's going to seat 1,105 people. So we're going to be able to fit everybody in. Everybody's going to be comfortable. Everybody's going to have a really good seat. So come and enjoy Easter. Bring somebody with you. Invite. We're going to give you cards on the way out. We're going to encourage you to invite people to come to Easter. Great opportunity. For somebody to come to know Christ as their Savior. Um, but, but the truth is, when we, when we think about understanding, when we think about empathy, and we think about this week, we think about Jesus dying on the cross for us. But here's what Romans chapter 4 says. Romans 4 says that Jesus is our high priest. And he has been touched with the feelings of our weaknesses so that we can be assured that when we go to him, we'll find mercy and grace in a time of need. Wow, that's amazing. That, that he is God and he understands everything. He knows us better than anyone else. And yet he came from heaven, came off his throne, and came and lived here for 33 years. 
And the Bible says, obviously, he did it to die for the sins of mankind. But he also did it so that he could put himself in our shoes. Wow. He says he was tempted in all ways like we are tempted. But he was without sin. Therefore, we can go boldly to the throne of grace. In other words, he empathized with us. And so we need to learn how to empathize with other people. Fourthly, stop. Stop and really choose to listen before you respond. You see, we need to learn how to be great listeners. Listen to what uh, James chapter 1 says. I want you to write this verse down. I want you to remember this verse. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Somebody once said the reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth is we should listen double the amount of time that we talk. I wonder if that's true for most of us. I think we talk double the amount of time we listen. So the reason why we're driving each other crazy is because we're not really listening. To listen well is as powerful a means of communication and influence as talking well. But if, if we're going to stop driving each other crazy, we're going to have to really learn how to listen to each other. So you need to ask yourself a question right now. Am I really listening to my wife? I mean, gentlemen, you might be looking at her, but are you really listening? Am I really listening to my husband? Women communicate a lot more effectively with their words. Listen to me. Men communicate with their actions. And so when a woman's looking at her man and her man is not sitting up, not looking directly at her, not stopping what she's doing, what he's doing, what he's really communicating to his wife is, I don't have time to listen to you. Are you really listening to your children? Are you listening? Are you, Dad, are you listening? You know, my, my, my children grew up in a pastor's home. And I have to tell you, what children go through in a pastor's home is so, so difficult. And I'll never forget one day, one of my daughters said, we didn't ask to be a pastor's child. I had to listen to that. No, 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 I, I did. See, I always believed that they were blessed being a pastor's child. No, I had to listen. I always thought that they were blessed being in my home and that they, they were blessed with having, you know, this life that they had. And they are. They're very, very blessed and they're very thankful. But just to listen to that word, we never asked, we never asked to have to sacrifice all the things that you've had to sacrifice as a pastor. We never asked to be in a fishbowl and everybody looking at us and everybody expecting us to be perfect. And I just needed to take that time and really listen. And when I listened to my daughter, when I listened to what she had to say to me, it made me understand a little bit more of what she's going through in her life. And it made me adjust the way that I dealt with her. Not compromising, just listening more. Spending more time. See, when you really listen, you're able to make those shifts so that you can understand the other person and work with the other person. So how do you become a better listen? Number one, you maintain eye contact. You force yourself to truly listen. That's hard. Because a lot of times we're not really listening. So we have to learn how to force ourselves to truly listen. 
That's really critical. Not only do we force ourselves to truly learn how to listen, but we also understand that there are times in which we need to refuse to build our argument while we're actually pretending to listen. We don't interrupt the other person when they're talking. Let them finish all the way through what they're saying. We have to remove all distractions. We shut the TV off. We find the right place. We listen for the hurt. We listen for the hurt. And then we repeat what we think they are saying. Because listen to me. I want you to know something. You hear, often you hear something different than what somebody's saying to you. Because not only do we speak through what we understand or what we've experienced, but we hear through our experiences. So if we're insecure, we hear through our insecurity. Hello? We, if we're proud, we hear through our pride. If we're bitter, we hear through our bitterness. And so we really need to repeat what the other person said to us. We call that mirroring. Okay, so you let that person finish everything that they've said, and then you say, what I think I heard you say. Let's practice that right now. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, what I think I heard you say. Go ahead. What I think I heard you say. Now, why do you say what I think I heard you say? Because it may not be true. So you're giving that person the opportunity then to say, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. We've, we've got to be able to give that person room to be able to even correct what they said. Okay, let me see if I understand what you said. And you repeat it back to the person. Let me tell you something. If you make that a practice. Now, I'm not talking about every single conversation. Can you imagine all day long your wife says, "Hun, go downstairs and get the toilet paper. Hun, what I think you said, I don't care what you think I said. Go get the toilet paper. You just use that when it's critical. <laughs> you just use that when you really, really have to understand the details. Fifthly, you learn how to listen. You're taking the time and listen. But then you have to also learn how to be careful about what you say. Notice what James says. He says, be quick to listen and Slow, slow, slow to speak. Because a lot of times we just blurt out what we're feeling at the moment. I have gotten myself in trouble with a lot of people. And, you know, the truth is I wish I could take back a lot of the stuff I say, but I'm so emotional. And I just blurt it out. That's why we've got to slow it down. And if you're really feeling that, you know, you're hurt or, man, your temper's getting up there, take a moment, pull away and pray. Say, God, help me, Lord. Check, my, check myself, Lord God. Check my heart, Lord God. Help me to say it right. Make sure you use your words wisely. Don't say something that you will regret. Think about what you're about to say. Don't just say what you're feeling. Don't just let it rip. I know there are some people that pride themselves in letting it rip. And I'm talking about talking right now. Don't just shoot from the hip. Be spirit-controlled and spirit-led and practice tongue control. 
How many times do we make people crazy because we say the wrong thing at the wrong time? Listen to me. If you want to make people crazy, if you want to make people you work with crazy, people you live with crazy, your friends crazy, say whatever you want whenever you want to say it, and you will make everyone around you crazy. That's why, listen to what James says, and I'm going to wrap it up. This is what James says. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Wow. Listen, shh, 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 listen. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue, everybody say the tongue, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In other words, James says, if you want to have great relationships, you must learn the secret of tongue control. Listen to some scriptures about tongue control as the worship team comes. Psalms, 14, Psalms 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Pray that next time. Psalms 141.3. Set a guard over my lips, O God. Colossians 3.8. Oh, hi. That was really fast. Colossians 3.8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Proverbs 10.19. When words are many, sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can cut deep. Listen to me. Listen to me. Words can bring great pain. And words are powerful. And they can either build or destroy relationships. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous weighs every answer. But the mouth of the wicked gushes out evil. People who practice tongue control, they understand a few things. Number one, the tongue has the power to bring life or death. God calls us as his people to speak the truth in love. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, he said, speak the truth in love. People who speak in love, people who speak the truth in love, they use their words to build people up, not tear them down. Even when they've been hurt, they use it to build the other person up. They don't let unwholesome talk come out of their mouth, but only what is helpful to the building up of others according to their needs so that it may benefit the person who's listening to them. In fact, before you say something, ask yourself some questions. Is this going to build them up or tear them down? Is it going to edify them 
Or is it going to help them? Is it going to bless them or curse them? That, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't speak the truth when the truth is needed. Listen, I've had to tell my children when they were wrong. But I use my words in such a way, hopefully, that it doesn't exasperate them. I don't call them idiots, dummies. I can't believe you did that. There are times when I, as a pastor, have to correct somebody in the church. And i got to be blunt and honest with them. And sometimes I will do it with the determination to correct them, to make them understand. You're wrong at what you're doing. But it's got to be seasoned, the Bible says, with grace. I haven't always been great at that. And I've had to go back and ask for forgiveness. But the truth is, all of us need to recognize when we speak the truth in love, we know that a gentle answer turns away conflict. Here's what Proverbs 15 says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of a fool gushes folly. People who speak the truth in love speak words filled with grace. Colossians 4, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. People who speak the truth in love speak the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Proverbs 15 says, to give an appropriate answer is a joy. How good it is when somebody gives a right word at the right time. So using your tongue wisely is a powerful way of helping people not to go crazy in your life. Listen to me. Listen to a few careful scriptures about tongue control. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Proverbs 21. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. In closing, I want to ask you this one question. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to ask you this one question. In, in conflict resolution, when you're in the middle of a conflict, or maybe just in general, when it comes to communication, how have you used your words lately? How have you said something lately to someone that you're in conflict with? Have you used your words to cut deeply? Have you gossiped about someone? Have you, have you told somebody else something that you feel about somebody else? That's gossip. And the Bible tells us that God hates gossip. Have you said something to someone that you know you need to make it right with? Right now, ask God to forgive you for every careless word you have used. And ask God to heal your angry heart. Ask God to give you the courage to go back to the person you've hurt. And use words like, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Use new words. Go make things right with the person that you've hurt with your words. Even if it's years ago. Because listen, I want to tell you this one thing. Jesus tells us that we will be held accountable accountable for every careless word we've ever spoken. You know what he's saying? Every word that we have spoken to someone that was cruel or mean, every word that was not inspired by the Spirit, that we have not made right, we have not asked for forgiveness for, one day God is going to hold us accountable for every word that we've spoken. I don't know about you, but I've got a lot of work to do. But I serve a merciful God, a gracious God. And I'm so thankful that God forgives me. 
And I'm so thankful that God hears me and listens to me when I speak to Him. You know what? God never interrupts me. Never. He allows me to pour my heart out. And then when I'm done, the small whisper of God, He speaks into my heart. God always cares about how I'm feeling. And God always gives me grace. And how we need to give grace to others. So here's how we're going to finish this service today. We're going to ask the Lord to make us great communicators. We're going to ask the Lord to help us to keep on working on conflict resolution. If that's you today and say, you know what? I want to be a great communicator. And I want to always resolve conflict in a biblical way. I'm not going to ask you to come forward today. I promise you. I'm not going to have you come forward. But I am going to ask you to stand to your feet and say, I want to be a person who resolves conflict always in a godly way. Stand to your feet right now. Say, yeah, I want to be that kind of person. How many of you want to start using your words to bring life to other people? Look at me. Listen to me. The most powerful thing you have in your life. Listen to me. Look at me. The most powerful thing you have in your life this can get you in big trouble. Or it can bring life to others. So let's pray a prayer right now. Would you raise your hands? Let's just surrender to God today. Surrender to God today. I want you to say with me, thank you, Lord. Jesus, that you reconciled me. To my father and you called me to be a reconciler to work through conflict to listen to truly listen and to use my words wisely touch my heart fill me with your spirit and help me today Lord to be committed and dedicated to great communication and conflict resolution. In Jesus' name, amen.